This episode of Third Degree, the podcast, arrives with some significant audio problems. But remember, it was free. So enjoy. Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hello, I'm Peter, and joining me is the near comatose and may soon have to go to the hospital, Dan Crook. Dan, are you okay, little buddy? I'll survive. What you got? You got a little of the uh, Chicago flu? Exactly that, yeah. Uh, I, I blame them a lot. I blame drinking things from the Brimstone Cup. I blame Chicago as a whole. You drink out of the brimstone cut, you might have an STD, or at the very least, herpes simplex type two. One of the yeah. I I did both. clean it pretty thoroughly though. Yeah, well, <laughs> some things you cannot clean. And also, uh, founder and editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, your hero and mine, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzzard. Hello, Peter, calling in today from the Addison Oktoberfest, right outside Dan's apartment. Man, uh, Dan, I don't. You look. You must live in the most happening area because the noise outside you. Either that, or the apartment building you uh, you live in is poorly constructed because it sounds like you are actually at the Addison Oktoberfest hanging out there. I mean, it's like thirty yards from my window. Goodness, you are such a party animal. Right in the heart of it. Right in the heart of it. As sure as as soon as we're done recording, you're gonna go out there and just go get some turkey legs and a big pint of beer and a funnel cake, aren't you? No, I'm going to sleep. Because you're sick. Oh. Yeah. All right, we'll hear more about Dan's adventures to Chicago here in a second. Speaking of which, I don't really know where to start, guys, because since the last episode of the pod, lots has happened. Uh, with the Huntsman. The club has gone uh, on uh, a quick turn, back-to-back trip of road games, first in Chicago, where they got pummeled 4 nothing, and then uh, earned a point last night, Wednesday night, in Seattle with uh, a pair of donuts, which, you know, uh, Buzz, uh, you know, one point out of six, I guess, is good. Are we supposed to feel good about that? Well, you can certainly feel good about the Seattle game, but you should not feel good about the Chicago game. That was um, the Chicago game was about as big as a defensive meltdown as we've seen in a long time, uh, with lots of miscommunication. Goodness, with lots of miscommunication across the back line, uh, with the, the back line not just uh, being out of sorts, but being out of shape too. Like guys miss, losing their lines and losing their consistency. And then uh, on top of that, uh, Reggie looked like he shouldn't be playing. You know, I think he was burnt out from the national team and the games he played. And and, and the, the biggest takeaway, I think, from that game is uh, Dallas did a really horrible job just limiting opportunities. They allowed uh, Chicago to have 17, seven shots on target out of 17, which is a pretty high percentage rate. That's, that's not very good. And so um, the Chicago game was a meltdown, and we should probably not even worry about it too much because they rebounded really quickly and, and held uh, Seattle to just – uh, three shots on target. So defensive improvement was there, and the the Seattle game was a, a good point. 
Uh, but I do think it, it is worth going back and discussing the Chicago game for a few reasons. One, uh, knowing the importance and value of playing a team like Chicago, even if it's on the road, seemed like a really good opportunity to grab valuable points. That would be discussion number one. And, and the fact that they turned up and crapped the bed, right, instead of uh, yeah. getting any points. And then point two uh, would be a conversation about Lucci's decisions about a starting 11 for Chicago. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I don't really know, without having been in the locker room, obviously it's hard to really know what the mentality was because it felt like that may have been a game where Dallas looked at the schedule and thought, oh, here's a chance for us to get points. We're better than, than this team. Uh, and we know of late that that's not the way Dallas has played. Dallas has gotten results when they've outworked the other team and out after the other team, all triggered by Andresic's uh, move to the lineup uh, you know, several weeks back. So to go out there and play uh, that flat was uh, alarming. And in particular, Reggie, as I mentioned before, coming out of the national team camp did not look like he was ready for that game at all. And that set the tone early. And even just as you mentioned, the, the lineup choices, missing Brian Acosta, which is a big miss. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as much as I'm on the bandwagon for Edwin Cerrillo's future, uh, he's not there yet. He's not Acosta. And they are missing his uh, passing out to the wings and his calmness and his game controlling experience. And so they start, uh, you know, the 18 year old Cerrillo. And then in front of him, they bench the linking player. They bench Brandon Cervania. Lucci does. So uh, now they're playing with two free eights, a six, eight, uh, 10 or, or six, 10, 10, whatever you want to call that. Not what they've been using lately. Uh, and they missed the connection. Uh, so Rio didn't have the outlets that he needed, uh, particularly on a guy like him who's not a long passer. He needed guys to come check to him, and that didn't happen. And and that midfield was a disastrous trio, and Lucci instantly recognized that it was a problem and changed it at halftime and brought uh, Brandon Cervania back in. And that the second half in Chicago was much, much better, of course, but they're already down 4 nothing, so you're not going to get back into it. But um, it was a complete head-scratcher. Uh, in terms of the lineup. And again, you know, we've talked many times how there were going to be some mistakes this year from Lucci and that Chicago game was a mistake. I mean, he even said something afterwards about it was a huge learning chance for him and his staff because they clearly blew it. And uh, I don't think anyone will, will try and claim that they didn't blow it with that lineup and the tactics and everything they did in Chicago. Yeah. Based on the number of times Lucci has followed up a game in his press conference with something about learning. Uh, it's been uh, certainly a, an encyclopedia worth of, uh, reading <laughs> this season for him and his staff. Dan, you actually were on the scene. You flew to Chicago uh, as part of the Brimstone Cup presentation. As a fan of the good guys, quote-unquote, that must have been uh, kind of painful to watch. Yeah, uh, definitely going to wear the scars of that one for a while. Uh, it was just, it was weird. It was a, it was an effortless performance. They, they gave up. Um you know, and you're in a group of people that's travelled a few hundred miles to go and watch that, and, and to see that it's uh, it's just awful. And you know, this was I suppose coming into into last weekend, you probably thought, okay, a point or three on the road in Chicago is totally feasible. Getting blown out by Seattle is totally feasible. Okay, the end result is, you know, if you if you expected a point from two games, you got a point from two games. But like, like you said, uh, like Buzz said, you know, the Dallas crapped the bed almost as much as Jesse crapped himself on the field. Did he literally crap himself? There's pictures going around. He crapped himself. Really? Yeah. I did not know this. That's alarming. I wonder why he 
didn't play well. That would be uh, that's a that's a great way to time waste, though. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about Jesse's new time wasting tactic of the missing contact. That was genius in Seattle, by the way. Yeah. Um, so uh, in the middle of at some point now here, I have to confess, I have never seen the Chicago game. I didn't. I was at a Catholic wedding uh, uh, on Saturday when the game was being played. And at some point in the wedding, I uh, I looked down and decided to look at my phone because it was a Catholic wedding and saw the 4-0 halftime scoreline and thought, uh, probably best that I'm at a Catholic wedding. Uh, and the one note that I saw in our little chat group from Dan was something to the effect that uh, Spinesteiger actually outraced Baji in a, in a flat sprint. It was it was a uh, it was a quote unquote flat sprint. It was they were both central, a ball straight out wide, and uh, yeah, Baji was was a lot slower off the mark. And I know, and I know, Buzz has a video uh, of um, of Schweinsteiger outracing Andrezik, which doesn't surprise me in the least, but it's still pretty funny to watch. So um, maybe not the fastest team on the field yep. uh, in Chicago. Well, you know, we know that Andresik's not fast. That's not part of his game. Uh, and we can talk about how that impacted the Seattle game for sure in a minute. Um, but, you know, when you play in a team that has a center striker that isn't fast, which is fine, it, not everybody's fast, you can play a guy like Schweinsteiger as your center back because uh, as a result, um, you know, a guy that can control the pace and dictate things back there, and that worked for them. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Andresik has a lot of great quality to his, qualities to his game that we like. His pace is not one of them. No big deal, you know. It just happened in this case. He had a two-yard head start on Sebastian and got caught. So that, that was a bad moment. But uh, the game was – that's not why they lost the game. You know, the game was lost by the defensive meltdown. And and I, I watched it a day later myself. And I guess going in, knowing the 4-0 scoreline, uh, I was able to handle it a little more than I might have been steaming <laughs> if I'd been watching it live. But uh, it was not a good affair by any means. Uh, there was also just nothing going forward. I mean, I'm, I'm over on the Chicago side – in the for the last five minutes to do the trophy presentation and i think i saw the ball cross the halfway line once at one point mascara was about 30 yards away from me directly behind the goal that was uh that's not a you know there was just nothing nothing in the attack there was nothing you know i think fc dallas worked the ball into the box away from crosses twice and even then, it was like just a touch inside and back out. But I, I want to get back to the question um, that I kind of raised at the beginning of this. And again, not seeing the game myself, I'm kind of going by uh, things that I read and reviews of the game, uh, comments on social media, etc. Um, I, I think the thing that really bothers me about it, even more so than Lucci's uh, kind of rookie coach starting lineup decisions was the fact that this team actually showed up and uh, by all accounts really just wasn't, didn't have head right with ball. And it seems like that's a really stupid time to show up in the season, uh, not prepared to fight for three points. Yeah, it was an oddity to, to that. Um, I, I, I think, you know, got maybe guys that came back from national team camps were still thinking about their national team camps. Um, you know, and a mistake happens five minutes into the game and you're down one nothing, and, and maybe it's just a night where you're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, and this team is known to, uh, when they go down, they go down big. I mean, they don't go down one nothing scrapping. When they go down, they've lost, you know, by large margins. So 
um, there's a cascading effect ha- that happens. And when you got, uh, you know, four or five guys on the field that are below the age of 20, maybe it's hard for them to grind it this late in the season. I'm not, I'm not really sure this is the youngest roster in the league. So, um, you, you would think, uh, you know, as we had talked about, you would think you would have gone in recognizing this was a chance to get some points in a playoff crunch time. And it sure did not look like it, uh, in that game. And then again, you know, four days later, it did look like it. So, uh, it's almost impossible to know without being in there more than we were, um, why that mentality happened. I'm looking forward to talking to Lucci about it, uh, you know, early next week, probably, um, if he'll talk, if he'll go back that far in time by the time I talk to him. So, Uh, It's a mystery, honestly, at this point. We'll just have to hope that we get more of what we saw in Seattle going forward. Uh, Dan, I, you know, you were at the at the venue. Um, uh, You know, Chicago is obviously a big storyline because earlier in the day, the announcement came that the sale from the owner had been transferred to a new owner. We all know the story that they're moving back to uh, uh, Soldier Field uh, next year, and I've got a thousand questions about that. uh, you know, I'm just kind of interested. I think you, I think you've told me you've been to Bridgeview before. Uh, what's your perspective of what that whole scene is like? How does it differ from Toyota Stadium in Frisco? And uh, is it as bad as everybody says it is? Uh, it's it's worse. Um, wait, 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 hold on. When you say it's worse, worse than what? Worse than Frisco? Worse than everybody says it is? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think personally, people they complain about Frisco, I think, are really just clutching at at straws. It's, uh, you know, like a 20-minute drive from Dallas, on the tollway, nice and easy. Um, There's plenty of stuff in and around Frisco. It's kind of, you know, as a population base, it's, it's got all of Collin County around it. Bridgeview is way out by Midway Airport. It's you know, an hour in traffic, it's got nothing in it. Um, I mean, since the last time I went, which was four years ago, they've uh, actually built a few things up around the stadium before it was just wasteland. Now they've got a hotel, they've got some new stores and bars. Um, But, I mean, it'd be like FC Dallas building a stadium in in Melissa or Van Alstine or somewhere like that. Some, you know, one of those real middle of nowhere, going to take you forever, nothing to do before and after the game kind of places. Um, you know, moving to, potentially moving to Chicago, it, it really is a lifeline. They just have to actually market the team because when I was there, there was, uh, there was definitely no traces of, of the Chicago fire or, any Chicago soccer other than the uh, the Red Stars in NWSL. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm very conflicted about this news um, again, and I I have to reserve my opinion on it because I don't really know much about Chicago, and I certainly don't know anything about Bridgeview, and uh, I tend to think that you know a lot of this is more about marketing and branding than locations of stadiums, but. Um, I just I had this weird feeling that moving back into a giant seventy thousand seat stadium for a team that struggled to get, you know, twelve thousand people to show up week in and week out, uh, isn't necessarily a recipe for success. But I don't, maybe they know something I don't. Well, for me, I, I I'm trying to read it as an outsider. One of the things that had occurred to me was that um, there was a lot of talk of a. 
USL or some other kind of team coming into Chicago um, with some of the other complexes that we're looking at getting built in the more immediate area. So it's possible. I think part of this is an idea of protecting your market and protecting your brand of being, Oh no, we're the Chicago team. You know, nobody else needs to come in here. This is our market. So maybe that's kind of why you go back to the big stadium. I mean, I listen, I, I get it too here. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be in Frisco. I want to play downtown, but I'm realistic about why it's where it is. And I know why it's not going to be downtown, but in the case of Chicago, apparently they got a guy who's willing to throw the money down and move it back. So uh, I agree that social field is not ideal, but maybe, maybe his long-term plan is to get something uh, in, the, in an urban environment closer to Chicago or in Chicago that, uh, that would more fit the bill. Maybe he wants to take on one of these new complexes that people have been banning about these USL team ideas with. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I am confused by that, but with the other part of it that I'm wondering, you know, I think about the Dallas situation and then if suddenly somebody said, Oh my gosh, uh, uh, FC Dallas is going to start playing their games in the cotton bowl. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm 99% sure that the attendance numbers wouldn't be dramatically different than they are today. Um, mostly because, uh, of, it's of the product. Like if you don't change anything about the product and just stick it in a different place, you're not necessarily going to get more people just because you think the, the area around it is more popular or younger or anything like that. And, 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 and for me, that's always been the argument about what's holding this club back. Isn't a, in this club, meaning Dallas uh, has zero, very, very little to do with location and everything to do with the actual product itself. And that it's just not very popular in this marketplace because there's lots of options for people's entertainment dollars. And that's why I'm a little confused about what's going on in Chicago. Uh, again, I'll admit that I don't know much about it. Um, but I, I, the thing that I wonder is, is if they go to Soldier Field and they end up getting, I don't know, two, three, four, even hell, if they get 20,000 people inside of a 70,000-seat stadium, that's going to look like crap. And I don't know what they've succeeded at. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I did like, um, from a neutral perspective, I did like that their new owner, uh, within a couple of days after it was announced he was taking over, said something along the lines of, I'm going to paraphrase because I, I don't remember the exact quote, that if you want to have a good product, you have to pay market price for that product. So, And he was talking about players. So uh, I think he must feel like he's going to do something uh, LAFC or Atlanta or Inter-Miami-like. It sort of is, is the vibe I'm getting now, a willingness to spend there. So... Um, maybe that will work in terms of we're back, we're coming to town or something like that kind of mentality and, and drop it some cash. It, it's definitely sounds like it's not the hunt FC Dallas model. And I agree with you that if you moved it to cotton bowl, the attendance would be the same. You know, this club doesn't draw because not because of where it is. You know, we've talked about that a million times. Uh, I would rather play in the cotton bowl just because I like the cotton bowl better, but that's, you know, that's not the same as, is it solving any problems? I think really there's just a just a completely different challenge in those two markets. You know, um, if Dallas moves to the Cotton Bowl, or you know, if if it did move, the attendance will be roughly the same, but you're probably going to have a different attendance. You're going to have more more people in Dallas. You're going to have less people coming from Denton County, from Collin County. Uh, I mean, Tarrant County would honestly probably stay the same. You know, the, the problem with Chicago Fire Eyes is they're going. They're in Bridgeview. Well, their fans are actually from Chicago. You know, everyone's making that crappy drive. If they move it to Chicago, it may not go up a whole bunch, and 
you know, I'd hope if they do, uh, if they, you know, that move would be a, a temporary solution. But it, it would kind of encourage the fans they've lost to come back, especially if there's a, a new attitude, and particularly with, you know, there were, there were Helpman Out banners at every Chicago Fire game. It was just, uh, you know, it was something that really you couldn't compare to, like, the relationship with Hunts. Um, you know, so I'm not sure how much of that would be kind of applicable to, to the situation FC Dallas is in. Well, I, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch, and uh, well, maybe not fun. It'll be interesting to as a study to see what happens uh, with the Chicago Fire next year. I'm still uh, unclear if they're going to rebrand the team. Uh, I, I kind of got the sense from that statement the new owner made the other day that uh, they're leaning in the direction of not doing it, and I would be relieved to hear that. So, um, well, uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, all right, so we uh, then turn our directions to last night. Last night being Wednesday, we're recording this on Thursday. Dallas goes to its House of Horrors, a place it hasn't won since, uh, I don't know, 2010, I think, uh, which is CenturyLink Field in Seattle with the Sounders, and they grind out a 0-0 draw, and at halftime... Steve, I was watching this game. Now, again, I didn't watch the Chicago game, but I, Steve Davis, who he and Mark were doing the TV play-by-play, very well, by the way, um, I might add, uh, tweeted something out saying, man, that is so much better. Wow, this is such a big improvement over the Chicago game. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't see the Chicago game, but that first half wasn't very good. And if it's that much better, that must have been some real crap in Chicago. Well, it was about um, the what was better was number one the defensive cohes good lord cohesiveness. Thank you, uh, in the sense that everyone was on the same page and playing as a collective. Uh, they put Brisson in for Reggie, so that you know not a shot at Reggie, but it, it's a defensive first mentality out of that player. And they went with a four five one, which is a bunker encounter. And they put uh, the big surprise was Andresic going to the bench. Um, and, and, and Baras being up top, but, uh, there was a lot more effort and a lot more willingness and a lot more work rate. And that all was positive. Um, Peter, you got what you asked for, which was uh, Paxton Pomlico on the wing. He didn't start on the left, but at 30 minutes, he switched to the left. Uh, that's something we had talked about as a hypothetical. And I pr- proposed it this week that I thought it, that's what they should do. And, uh, Lucci, obviously reading my tweets, decided that I'm a genius and, and, and you're a genius and put Paxton back on the wing and brought on Cervania as the linking player and, and gave you basically the lineup you've been calling for for two weeks. So you got to be pretty excited about that, I imagine. Uh, actually, after watching it, I was pretty disappointed. I didn't think it functioned very well, and, and I don't like Paxton out on the wing. I, I feel like your best player on the ball is suddenly isolated. Um, and and, and it probably I only probably feel this way because Jesse Ferreira, uh, Jesus Ferreira, was so poor. I mean, that, that was one of the worst performances in that position I have seen from a Dallas player in some time. And I was frankly shocked that Lucci didn't make the tactical decision to switch the two within about the first 15, 20 minutes of the start of the game because it was very clear from the opening moments that Jesus just was not feeling it. And by all accounts, he was just as bad, if not worse, uh, a few days prior in Chicago. And so all of these ideas of letting Jesus kind of continue his strong form uh, in the center of the field and let Paxton do his thing out on the wing uh, just kind of didn't, didn't seem very smart or, or anything after all, because, uh, it, you know, I just felt like both players were just, uh, out of position. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, 
it was Jesus Ferrer's worst game in a while, although the Chicago game was also equally bad. So let's just say two games in a while, which is a shame because, you know, the previous three or four games, he had been so effective making being that extra player, making those slashing runs into the box between the center backs. And, and uh, that was a big part of what Dallas had been doing so well. And that vanished in this game. I mean, he, he was terrible in possession and didn't do any linking or line breaking. Uh, you know, Brandon Cervania was trying to do all that, and Acosta was trying to do all that, and that part looked good. But, um, you know, when you're playing a 4-5-1, what is essentially what it was, when you get forward into your 4-3-3 aspect as you move forward, you got to still have that component, and he did not provide it at all. And it was um, – I'm not sure what Dan thought about it, but I thought uh, – I agree with you, Peter, that it was, it was Jesus' worst performance in some time. And now we have a big problem, or Lucci has a big problem – what do you do with both Paxson and Jesus? Can you play both of them at the same time? It looks like the answer may be no, and that's not good. Well, doesn't this really come down to the problem that the team just doesn't have a number nine that they really want and feel like can be effective in different types of game scenarios? And, and you know, Jesus obviously got to a point where they felt like he isn't going to, uh, he isn't uh, living up to the hype. And, so now they're rolling out Andrezic, who had a okay run of form against some really poor teams, uh, and then had a really crappy game against an okay team, um, and then it was probably decided that he didn't have any pace to his game, so they can't use him in a game where they want a bunker encounter. So I, you know, if Jesus has to sit, I guess he needs to. But it's pretty. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, I'm just being hard headed here, but it seems pretty clear to me that Paxton needs to be back where he's been uh, really running things very well for this club all season long. And it just seems mysterious to me that they just don't do that. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't, I don't know what you do in this scenario. You're going to have to go with the guy you think gives you the best opportunity to win. Obviously that's a silly thing to say, but um, the way Ferreira's played the best two, excuse me, the way Ferreira's played the last two games, I think right now the answer is going to have to be Pomacol. I mean, I don't, I don't think you look at these two road performances and think, Oh yeah, that's perfect. I'm going to bring that back home. And maybe it's a case where Jesus really is so much better at home than on the road. Possibly that's a, a consideration, but um, it's pretty clear you got to stick with stick with the six, eight, ten, or or not pure ten, free eight, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, that combination you got to have that linking guy Savanya in there, and you got to have Acosta in there. So it's like one or two of those guys is going to go. And this is something we've been talking about over the course of the whole season. Is in the long run, uh, what are you going to do with Jesus Ferreira? We don't know where to play him. I mean, as long as Paxton's in town, I think we all agree that Paxton's the guy you know, in the middle where we like him. But, um, you know, Lucci has, has, has a problem at left wing. He has a problem at nine and he, and he has a problem when he has two guys that play kind of similar spots. He's got to figure all those things out over this stretch run and try to get his team in the playoffs. He can deal with a lot of that over the winter. And this team's going to change over the winter. I promise you that. But um, I, I don't have an answer for, hey, for uh, Lucci either, other than I think uh, Paxton has earned the right to be the guy and and then you got to figure out what to do with Jesus outside of that. All right, put a pin in your promise that this team is going to look very different after the winter because I want to hear what that promise is comprised okay. of. Okay. Uh, two, you know, yes, Lucci has all sorts of problems with this team, um, but one of the things that he does not have a problem with is Paxton Pomacall. He is the star and most. A productive player this team is at all season, and yet for some bizarre reason, he's kind of somewhat disappeared from the team um, over the last, I don't know, four weeks it feels like. And I know some of it has to do with injury and some of it has to do with call-up. And I just want to remind everybody, the nice little run this club went on came against some of the worst teams in this league at home, 
And, you know, it's not like Jesus has thrown out a really blinding performance in the midfield against a better side uh, to date that I can recall. So it doesn't, it's kind of like the Andrezic thing. It's, you know, yeah, he did well against Cincinnati and whatever other crappy team they played recently. Um, but it didn't surprise me that he struggled against a quality side like Seattle. And I just don't understand why Lucci doesn't make the what to me is a very clear decision to put his best player back in his best position. I'm mystified by why he's not doing that. Well, it only has been a couple of games that he did that. How many games? But yeah, but he had a crappy performance in Chicago. He sat Reggie. Why wouldn't you sit Jesse? All right. I mean, uh, Jesus. Well, probably because Hasty was a big part of what had been successful for the last four or five games. I mean, there's a reason why Paxton wasn't playing. It's not just coincidental. It's like over the previous games before that, Dallas was playing really poorly and Paxton was part of that. Paxton played really poorly. He was struggling with the hamstrings and then, you know, they shut him down and pulled him out and Jesus went in there and played great. So it's like you can't, you don't just bench Jesus just because Paxton's back. Paxton was sitting for a reason. So, you know, now that you've had two bad games with Jesus, I don't think there's any question why he won't go back to Pomacall. I think that seems obvious, but I, th- I think it's slightly disingenuous to say that there was, it was just for no reason that Paxton wasn't playing. No, I didn't say no reason. I, I said it was some of it had to do with injury and some of it had to do with call-up. But if Paxton is healthy, and by all accounts he is because he got time with the, he went to the national team camp and he got a little bit of time playing with them, I don't know why you don't insert him back in his best spot. He's your best player. Jesus is passable in that position. He's not Paxton Pomacall. And 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 if you want to go with the, well, you got to ride with the horse that brought you over the last few games. Okay, you did that in Chicago. You crapped the bed. Put your best player back in his best position. That's my feeling. So when people want to know what my reaction was to the uh, starting lineup in Seattle, eh, I'm not too excited about it because you didn't put your best player in his position and you kind of got the result you deserved. Come on. We sat on this podcast for two weeks and you ranted about Paxton playing left wing. I, Why I, is he playing left wing? Why is he playing left wing? No, 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 and so no, Lucha no. put him at left wing and now you're mad. No, you totally misconstruing my point. My point about Paxton at the left wing was if you feel like you have to keep Jesus at the 10 position for reasons I'm not really sure why you would do this, I guess the solve is is to kick Baji off the field and put Pax on the left. That was my suggestion. It was not my suggestion that in the on the heels of your worst performance in years that you don't put your best player back at his best position. So a week ago when we made this, or the week ago and two weeks ago when I made the claim that maybe the solution is to get Paxton on the field, just stick him wherever you can because you've got other guys that are playing well. Well, that's not the, the same thing that came up last night because Jesse or Jesus, I don't think, deserved to keep that spot after his performance in Chicago based on what I read because, again, I didn't see it. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, maybe, I, you know, I, I just don't know that, uh, I mean, Jesus wasn't great in Chicago, but it, he wasn't the reason they lost that game in Chicago. You know, the, the defensive meltdowns was the problem. I don't think Jesus was the problem. Okay. So it's not surprising to me that the reaction wasn't yank Jesus because he wasn't the problem. Okay. So then, <laughs> so you get 20, 30 minutes, or even halftime in the game against Seattle. You're struggling to make anything go forward on the field. You're essentially just holding on for dear life, hoping Seattle or Ruiz uh, Diaz Arce doesn't do something magical. You've seen that Jesus uh, has turned the ball over without pressure, unforced errors, 
I don't know, I think I counted five of them in the first 45 minutes. Why don't you make the switch then? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. I mean, I get why he didn't go into the game, but in the course of the game, I don't know why. That one, I don't, you know, again, sometimes coaches make mistakes. Sometimes they read the game differently than we do. I, I can't argue that one. I was talking about subbing out Jesus early in the second half myself. So uh, I would agree that they sh- that should have been a change that was made, but it wasn't. So, you know, hopefully there's a reaction now. Hopefully the reaction coming back this weekend is to put Paxson back where he belongs. Yeah, you know? uh, let, me, let me just be clear. And I'm not a soccer coach. I hold no soccer coaching license. I'm just a fan like everybody else. But it seems pretty easy to me to say your best player on the best team should be playing in his best position when he's healthy and ready to go. And last night in particular seemed like a really good opportunity for that. So, and hopefully, yes, hopefully Sunday when they play NYFCFC, who, by the way, are equal with LAFC with the best road record in the league, um, uh, with a road record of 6-4-4, four, and four, uh, they, Lucci gets that right, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, if you lose this one, you're out. Well, I mean, if you lose this one because you decided not to play Paxton Palmacall uh, at his uh, best position, then I wonder if you should even be coach of this team. Well, you know, you want to talk about Paxton's form before he sat a couple of games and then and then even his form against Seattle, you know, it wasn't that great. So, I mean, you, you know, you put him back where he belongs. I agree you should. Uh, I don't necessarily know that that's going to be it either. <laughs> you know, it's like he, uh, you know... I, he well, has look, not been great the last month, to be fair, Paxton. No, but the but but in that stretch of run, I don't know if the team overall had been all that great. Uh, they were still struggling with trying to figure out who was going to play the nine position. They've got that weird black hole of nothing going on at left wing. Um, uh, and uh, but what I do want to point out from the the Seattle game last night that I thought was really good was Acosta and Cervania. Uh, you know, another great performance. And I, I got to give uh, Brian Acosta some credit. I was really concerned about him taking that sixth position. But, man, he has been uh, dogged. He's chased balls down. He's put out a ton of effort. He's winning balls. Um, his shooting has fallen off <laughs> at, a, at a very frightening rate. But uh, the quality of his shots, at least. Uh, but his overall game, I think, has been pretty good, uh, asking him to play a position that's probably not his natural position. And again, I still think Cervania's probably been this team's best player over the last, I don't know, two and a half, three months. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Acosta, particular his long passing out of midfield, uh, out to the wings, out to Barrios, uh, out to Baji Mascara, whoever you're going to have on the other side. Um, was a big part of what was missing in Chicago when he was out. And, and as I've said before, I love Edwin Surreal, but uh, right now it's not even close. I mean, Acosta's experience in the international game is ability to control the pace. He did a fantastic job. Uh, and without him in there, Dallas was unable to link forward and without Cervania as well, of course. But um, both those guys back... It's a big part of the connectivity, a big part of the glue. Oscar loved that word, the glue guys, the guys that bring the back and the front together. And Acosta really has done a phenomenal job uh, in that as the single six. And he's been much more stay-at-home than we thought. And Cervani has become this fantastic box-to-box player. Uh, The the passing chart and the defensive chart for him against Seattle, he literally covered the whole dang field. It was amazing to look at. Um, he's matured into a player that we all had hoped he could beat. And, and when you pair that with, uh, you know, whoever you're going to use in the free eight spot, the 10 spot, whatever you want to call it, um, 
you know, I, those two guys have got to be in there, which was part of what's creating our uh, Pax and Pamukkale Jesus Ferrer dilemma is that uh, Savania is so good and Acosta is so good, they've become indispensable in that midfield. Uh, it's that's actually pretty exciting. The fact that this midfield could be really good over the next two, three seasons playing together. Yeah, I uh, I fully believe that if we go back and look at a game by game basis, uh, where the team started to fall apart was when they didn't have all of their pieces in that center three midfield. I I'm trying to think of the last time Acosta, Cervania, and um, Paxton played together in the center three and they didn't win the game or at least get a result or play well. Maybe I should just leave it at that. Like play, like you walked away and went, well, that's not the problem with the team. We just didn't finish our chances or something like that. Yeah. I, I didn't look that up ahead of time, but I would agree with that assessment. I mean, there was a time when they were going double six uh, and that didn't work. Uh, and as soon as they went with a single six and more of the six, eight, 10 combo, that's when it all clicked. And, and both those guys have been fantastic. And, and, you know, really the whole back six now in effect is all on point other than Reggie's, you know, whatever was going on with him in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, that's all, it's the front. That's the problem. And it's been other than Barros, it's the left in the front and the nine. It's just, you know, so Buzz, you were surprised last night by the omission of Andrezic, uh, in the, in the top spot and the, I, I guess I'm assuming what Lucci was going for was the classic um, versus Kansas City sit back and bunker and let Michael Barrios do his junkyard dog thing. Oh yeah, that was clearly a four-five-one with Barrios, the tenacious, dogged, uh, hard-working player up top, just annoying the tar out of center backs, clutching, grabbing, you know, getting around him, nipping with the ball, uh, you know, sprinting past him because it's it is so hard to keep up with him. Um, you know, he's perfect for that role and, and Lucci compressed it, uh, because that was a big thing that was missing in, in Chicago is neither one of the wings checked back and defended like you're supposed to in a four five one and Chicago overloaded the wings and was getting doubles on the outside and getting these balls in, in the middle. It was a horrible uh, shape. So th- this time they just went straight bunker four five one and counterattacked. Um, you know, and Barrios was perfect for that. Um, you know, Baji vanished out of the game, and you could hardly tell he was playing, except that he kept falling down all the time. Uh, it just yeah, don't get me started. So, you know, I'm okay in on turf in Seattle, a team that's in second place in the West. I'm okay with a bunker, and that's a that's a formation they've they've done before on the road where they've given up the Lucci ball possession and gone with this kind of counter activity. And we know that Andresic is not capable of an over-the-top counterattack kind of style. It's not his game. He, he gets in the box and he works guys and he hits them a little bit and he bangs and he scraps. It's a totally different kind of play. So the surprise was the fact that we weren't getting any chatter or vibe that, that, that they were going to go with this 4-5-1 bunker mentality. So that was like, you know, we, we heard and, and we, we chattered about Paxton being on the wing, we chatted about would Reggie be out? Not in a million years did we talk about Andresic sitting and going with a counter. I mean, we should have, perhaps in in hindsight, but nobody did. So that was a surprise, and I'm sure it was a surprise to Andresic. And for all we know, actually, the guy could be hurt or something. You know, you, you strain your back on the plane. I mean, you, you don't know. You know, he's already up there. So I mean, I assume it's tactical. We'll find out when he gets back here, but. Um, given what the, the tactics they employed, it's not at all surprising that he didn't play. It was only surprising coming in that we were nobody thought of that, like that he was going to be the guy that was going to get sat because he'd played so well, frankly. And the other thing that uh, I had this realization was, and I had to go back and look at the uh, rosters of which, 
did something happen to Edwin Jossie? Uh, he wasn't in either. He wasn't. Uh, did he not travel with the team? Has he disappeared? If they, you know, there was that whole weird screw up with the league roster at, omitting him, and then the club like, no, no, he's still with the team, and he was at practice. Is is he still around or is he hurt? Yeah, no, he's here. He's healthy. You know, it's just coach's decision. You know, he's just not in the eighteen. Uh, you know, they usually travel an extra guy, and I don't happen to know right now who the extra guy is, so it's possible that it's him, but, you know, we didn't see him hanging around or anything, so, uh, you know, I, it won't surprise me based on what I've witnessed in training that he's not in the 18 ever again this season. It's, you know, he 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 looked the best I had ever seen him about a week and a half ago when I saw him in training, and it still wasn't good enough that I'm like, oh, yeah, get him into the team. No, it still was like, no, dude, it's not good enough. So uh, if he, I don't think he'll ever play for this team again. I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I know everybody's sensitive and doesn't want to be overly critical, but that is an extremely alarming result considering all of the noise uh, the club and specifically the president and co-owner of the club made leading up to July that there was going to be significant improvements and additions. And what we ended up getting with it was a guy with only one foot and ended up being so bad you stopped using him after about. 30 minutes i that would that's a pretty alarming uh transfer window Uh, yeah it's a bad miss bad miss on him yeah for sure um okay so the result in uh seattle zero zero that is a point you know i i kind of felt going into this uh two-game stretch that dallas would only get one point but it just was the reverse results i thought dallas would grab a like a 2-2 draw in chicago and then go get blasted uh, by Seattle. So the other part that I think actually the as much as the uh, Chicago result is not good to look at, I'm not 100% convinced that you actually works out better to have got a positive, good feeling, grinding type of result out of Seattle as you go into this very important game against NYCFC, who again, as I mentioned, are coming into this game essentially the same uh, tied for the lead in the league with the best road record in Major League Soccer, they and, of course, LAFC. So New York City's played two less road games. Their record is 6-4-4, four, and four, and LAFC's uh, road record is 8-3-5. and five. So essentially 1.7 points per game for LA and 1.6 for, um, uh, for NYCFC, the Pigeons, the best nickname in the league, by the way. And it's also, and we haven't talked about this yet, Buzz, it's the return of the Frisco kid. Keaton Parks, who's really turned it on of late for New York City, uh, makes his return to his hometown, and that's going to be fun to watch on Sunday. Yeah, he's an interesting kid. I have not seen him a whole lot in person, uh, only you know with the national team, because where he was playing in Europe, I hardly got to see him, and, and I don't watch NYCFC games. I'm going to go with Loons, by the way, is the best nickname in the league. Um, Parks is an interesting question because, uh, you know, FC Dallas knew about him here. It's not like they weren't interested in him, um, but he had loyalty coming up to his uh, youth academy coach, and he chose to stay uh, with his youth academy that he came up with. It's not even a DA team. It's, you know, it's just a uh, whatever it is they do these days now that's not DA, Classic League or whatever it is. You know, he didn't he didn't join anybody, didn't join Solar, didn't join Dallas Texans. He stayed with his coach that he grew up with uh, and then went over to uh, Europe and came up through some of the um, reserve teams and young teams uh, you know, after he turned 18. So uh, he's a guy that's done it a different way that doesn't happen very often. Uh, and and I've been reading some of the paper, uh, the articles about him, and, and he seems like he's a uh, 
a, a good glue kind of guy that New York is better with him in there. And he plays a sort of linking ish uh, role, moving the team forwards and backwards and, and probably a lot like Brandon Cervania actually. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him play in person. I really hope he plays. He doesn't play every game, but um, hopefully they're going to stick with him because he's been good lately. And, and for me, that'll be the most exciting thing about their team specifically, because otherwise the opponent is like, whatever, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing him play the Frisco kid. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, I uh, read somewhere the other day that internally his nickname is Big Bird because he's just this very tall, <laughs> skinny, uh, blonde-haired kid. If you ever got to watch uh, footage of him when he was playing for Benefica's B team, uh, it was always pretty entertaining because it was always a you know it was a B team, so it was a single camera top of the stand shot, and right. you would immediately pick him out because he was the only blonde-haired player on the field more times than not. Um, he's silky smooth. He's really good on the ball. I think, uh, uh, Dominic Trent's trying to get him to play more of a six role lately. And it's not his strength, uh, was one of the, a couple of the articles that I've been reading about him, uh, lately, but, uh, I, I man, if he doesn't start on Sunday, that'll be a disappointment. Uh, yeah. cause I'm sure he's got a whole busload of family and friends, um, <laughs> that would love to see him play. Uh, in his hometown, the Frisco kid, Keaton Park. So if you go to the game on Sunday, that's absolutely one to look for um, because he's a a local kid and we should be proud of him too, for sure. Uh, NYCFC does lead the Eastern uh, Conference with a pretty strong, you know, as as good as LAFC has been this year, uh, New York City is not a too distant second. They're 57 points. They're averaging almost two points a game. Um, They've only lost one game at home all season long. Um, and, uh, you know, and while they have that advantage, uh, of playing on that ridiculously stupid, uh, postage stamp inside of a baseball stadium, they've been very good on the road, uh, their best league record, uh, in indicating that. Uh, so it's, you know, Dallas has got their work cut out for this weekend and this is a game they really must win. And like, it's not a must, must win, but three points feels like, wow, it's pretty urgent. No, you pretty much got to win this one. And unfortunately, New York City is uh, out of their last seven games. There's six wins, one tie and no losses. So this is a hot, hot team. Um, but, you know, you only have t- three games left, Dallas does. And they really need the six, the full uh, six points from their home games. And then maybe get a little something out of Colorado Road, too, if they're going to have a chance to get in. If, if you don't win this game, I think you're toast. Uh, I was actually just looking up at their record against the uh, the Western Conference teams on the road. Uh, just because, you know, it's kind of, the Eastern Conference isn't great, it's not brilliant. That's very pol- that's very British polite of you, Dan. <laughs> uh, let's see, they've got a win against, they had a win against LA when LA were crap, Uh win against Colorado, everyone beats Colorado, and a win against Vancouver, who are the... you don't eat those words in a week. Yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. Oh, uh, FC Dallas won't be probably won't because FC Dallas has a terrible terrible record there. But on the whole, everyone beats Colorado. Um, yeah, they're actually um, the record against Western Conference teams on the road isn't fantastic. Uh, well, they've only lost on so. the road uh, four times this year. So look, they can't look a draw against NYC against New York City in Frisco isn't a good result. Let's make that very, very clear. It, this is a, if you ever wanted to get into Dan Hunt's stupid three point, three more points chant, this is the weekend to do it. Oh, 100%. Um, 
Yeah, I just, uh, just I know, like you mentioned, it was the uh, you know joint best, almost joint best record with uh, LAFC. I just kind of like wanted to, you know, put that contrast to it, where LAFC's away record is against significantly more difficult teams. Uh, it will be definitely interesting to see. Um, you know, we know every home game has to be three points if FC Dallas wants to make the playoffs. Um, Portland can do what they like to try and avoid getting to the playoffs, but you still have to, you still have to make the home go- home games count. Right. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear: the home advantage in MLS is strong. I mean, Dallas since mid-May is six zero and three at home. They have not lost a game at home in nine. So you know, even against a team as good as New York City FC, you should win your home games, particularly if you think you're a playoff team. So this is a game that Dallas will think this: we have to win, we're going to win, we should win, and that's the mentality you should have going into it. And and if you don't win this game, then you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, uh, from a position of what New York is facing, they do have the game on Sunday. So this is interesting, and I think it may it may portend what we. Uh, or affect what we see from them on Sunday. So remember, they have a late afternoon game in Dallas um, this Sunday, and then they their last three games are pretty sticky, guys. So they turn around and play at the postage stamp against Atlanta. Then they turn around the following Sunday and have to travel to Boston to play the Revolution, and then they finish the season fighting for the top spot in the Eastern Conference on the road at Philadelphia. So, you know, we talk about coaches uh, coming to a decision about maybe, you know, uh, thinking about how they want to use players. Uh, This may even be a bigger opportunity. We may not be surprised to find out that uh, uh, the Pigeons roll out a, a, you know, a, a week inside on Sunday afternoon, which would really help Dallas. Boy, would it. I mean, that, that midweek game against Atlanta for them has got to be tough, and they won't want to take that lightly because that's, you know, conference opponent that they're likely going to run into in the playoffs down the line. You know, so maybe they will rotate a little bit coming into Frisco. That'd be really nice, really help us out. Yeah, because you got to realize, so they've got a five-point advantage right now on uh, Philadelphia. They've got six points on Atlanta. New England, when they play New England, uh, in New England, that's a team that's fighting for that final space in the east uh, in the Eastern Conference. So they're certainly going to go uh, balls out for that. Uh, man, you just got to think that if New York feels like they could maybe take the foot off the pedal a little bit, give some people a rest, this is the game they're going to do it. So that said, that just all the more urgency uh, for Dallas to get three points, especially uh, if Dom decides he's going to throw out a, a weekend side uh, as part of his long-term planning. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that ahead of time. Philadelphia and Atlanta are both going to want that number two seed, so that's that's a tough schedule for New York City down the stretch. For sure. All right, the other big news this week was, uh, well, you know, I suppose it's big news, at least for the Hollingshead family. Ryan Hollingshead was signed to a new deal I'm sure it's worth. Uh, do we have? We don't have any idea what the, the amount was, do we, Buzz? I mean, we could we could we could look what what his old number was. I imagine that he got a raise of some kind, but it probably isn't a substantial raise. Um, you know, I, I doubt that he would have elevated up above um, some of the guys ahead of him that are on like four or five hundred. You know, you're talking about left back. It's not the same as you know the number ten type thing. So he, he probably is somewhere between two hundred to three hundred thousand, if I had to guess. Yeah, I, 
I get the sense that Ryan has gotten back to playing a uh, his better level of game, and that probably comes with the fact that uh, Lucci's asked him to only play one position consistently now for the last several weeks. That helps a lot a guy like Ryan. Yeah, he's right now he's playing statistically speaking some of the best uh, defensive you know a, a two way soccer in the league. I mean, he's he's the leading scorer of it for defenders. He's Dallas's second leading goal scorer. That's amazing. He's first in the league in like duels and aerials and uh, and, rec- uh, and recoveries. I mean, the guy's playing the best soccer of his life, and he just signed his money contract that he'll have, you know, for the 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 course of the prime of his career, 28, 29, 30. So, you know, he's, uh, he's doing well for himself and he, and the, and the team hopefully took care of him. And hopefully this is the first signing of what, uh, TD Andre has said, which is take care of the guys that have deserved it and earned it. And we're going to do that. So hopefully this is the first one. Hopefully that means that Pomacol for, uh, uh, Reggie and Brian Reynolds are next and whoever else is out of contract that they feel is really valuable. Cause there's six or seven guys they got to get rid of. And there's six or seven guys that got to get paid. Hey, um, a couple of side notes from the game last night. I meant to bring up when we were talking about the Seattle game. Uh, uh, and Dan, maybe you got to see an up close of this in Chicago. I'm uh, a bit disappointed in Michael Barrios's cover up tattoo of his kissy lips. Um, do we know any story behind that? And what is the cover-up tattoo? Because it, it it doesn't read very well on television. It just looks like a lot of... It's like you got a bunch of black scribble over the kissy lips. Maybe he was just a bit disappointed that uh, Joseph Martinez's uh, neck tattoo is a bit clearer. Yeah. yeah. I was, that was uh, an interesting uh, tattoo decision. And we can't go and finish the pod without discussing... Uh, Luchi Gonzalez's sexy robe he was wearing last night. <laughs> the sweater, yeah. You sure That's that the new butter leather. You sure, <laughs> the new cardigan. <laughs> you sure that wasn't a waist high, uh, romantic, sexy time robe? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe you know when Luchi wanted an oversized sweater, that it, that meant it was going to be too long for him because he's so short. Yes, they were making uh, lots of, uh, they were crowing his fashion statement uh, in the game that night, the, cl- the, the club's social media was, and I was like, <laughs> one, um, was it a cardigan sweater? Was it a robe? There's a little bit of debate. And two is, isn't that a little too close to the Pep Guardiola uh, fashion line that you pick up at, you know, some European oh, version of Target or something like that. Yeah, I'm quite sure that that is 100% in the Pep fashion line. We know how Lucci feels about Pep. I thought maybe he was fired up for the Mr. Rogers movie that's coming out in uh, November, but um, <laughs> you're like, this is probably more likely it's a Pep uh, it's tribute. A, it's probably a, a Pep. He's movie. never going to speak to you again now. <laughs> Which one of us? <laughs> he, well, he, he doesn't speak to me very much. He took Buzz to lunch, if we'll remember. So maybe yeah. that's off the table again. Yeah, that's the last lunch I'm getting out of that guy. Uh, yeah, certainly, for sure. And then uh, just a note real quick before we uh, finish this up for the evening. Um, uh, there is a there is a derby taking place this weekend. Yes, Buzzard? 
Yeah, it's, this weekend is the big uh, Academy FC Dallas Solar SC weekend. Um, there's a couple a year, a couple of season, but uh, this is the first one. This one is uh, the games are at Solar's Place up in McKinney. Um, so, you know, if you like the Academy play, you're talking about Solar, who just won the U17 national title last year. So those guys will move up to the U19. Um, and I, I'm sure that the guys that are now the FC Dallas 19s are going to feel like they were the better team last year. So, um, you know, up and down the entire uh, academy, there's a little bit of rivalry there between FC Dallas and Solar these days. And so, you know, if you like the academy play, it's on Saturday, all those games at the Solar Complex uh, up there in McKinney. And uh, I think it, I'm going to go. I think it's going to be some pretty good soccer. It'll be fun. Oh, I, I think it'll be outstanding. I'm sure they'll assign probably the best referee in the area for that game and uh, referees. Um, and that'll be some uh, highfalutin, good quality uh, academy level soccer. And not just not just for the Dallas area. That is about as good as you're going to find at that age group in the entire country. And that will be uh, a hoot and good time. What Do you know what time and what day it is? Yeah, on Saturday, the 17th. Uh, as they are currently scheduled now, these things do change. It is academy games, but the 17s are at 11 and the 19s are at one. Uh, so those are the two biggest, most skilled games. And, and then uh, several tiers down the academy, they should also be playing if you're into the lower age brackets by chance if that's your thing. So, but those are the two big ones, and I know that for sure they're at 11 and one as of when I checked the schedule about four hours ago. When you, uh, where is the schedule for those games? But is it on the FC Dallas website or something? No, it's else? on the, it's on the DA website. Like if you go to the DA website and look up the FC Dallas section, then it'll have the, the age groups. And then you click on any given age group and it'll list the whole roster. This is complicated. I know. And then down below the roster is the complete schedule for oh each club. It's all interfaced through the whole site, but um, you know, that's where you'll see when they change the t- game time, which happened, Two weeks ago, they changed the game time from one to nine in the morning, and had I had to rearrange my day. But um, so far, so good. Everything's on schedule, and and those are two really good teams. And so uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm really relish it. I love good academy play, and so that's gonna be exciting. Well, but wait, there's more local derbies. Oh, oh. Because this weekend there's the start of U.S. Open Cup qualifying. Oh, that's oh, right. that's right. And yeah. there's a bunch of Dallas teams in it this time. Yeah, I think uh, Lone Star Republic's playing um, uh, the football Riatos. factory. No, I think they're playing Footy Factory or whatever that club team is from Foro, that weird oh, little uh, soccer facility. FC Fort Worth. Foro SC. Yeah, Foro yeah. FC, which is that. Uh, yeah, if you uh, you may never have seen this buzz. There's this bizarre little soccer facility just south of the intersection of Preston and Beltline. It's all turf fields, and it sits along the and um, it's essentially floodplain along a, a White Rock Creek tributary, um, in between an office complex and an apartment building, and they've got all these little ask you know fake turf fields, and they've decided to put a uh, uh, a team together that I think is playing in the hmm. PSL or something like that. And I know That's the team that Michelle coaches. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. So, well, I, while you were talking, I looked at the schedule. NTX Riados at 5 p.m. Uh, plays Fort Worth. FC Fort Worth, that game's in Bulch Springs, if that helps you at all. Well, no, you know where that game is. That game is being played at the soccer facility owned by NTPSA, which is the mm. kind of general men's amateur league. It's in Bulch Springs off of Elam Road, and it is a tr- those fields are terrible. Okay, well, that's the Riados-Fort Worth FC Fort Worth. My, my point is, I, I find it hard to believe they play open cup games on that field. <laughs> uh, like, well, uh, yeah. 
Oh my god! Well, it doesn't. I don't know who the. It must be Ray Otis is the home team if they're playing in a Dallas ish kind of. They are. Yeah, the other game is Lone Star Republic versus Innocentus, which is the big, uh, the by far the best UPSL team in the country. They're over in Fort Worth. They're really really good and uh, and apparently run pretty quality. Yeah, they they went to the semifinals, the national semifinals um, last year was it, and ran made a deep run last year. They're they're actually a terrific team. Um, that plays at that level. They're significantly better than pretty much everybody else in the area in the UPSL. Mm-hmm. Um, they're playing Lone Star Republic. That's, that game's at Green Hill, which is where Lone Star Republic plays their games, the Green Hill School in Dallas, in Addison, technically. So that game's at 2 p.m. on Saturday. So those are your two local U.S. Open qualifiers this weekend. Yeah, it makes me nuts that they're Open Cup games and one team's playing on the beautiful fields at Green Hill and one team's having to go <laughs> shell it out at Balch Springs. Yeah. Um, well, Riotus doesn't have their own home field, so they always struggle for places to play. That's a problem for them all the time. Yeah, too bad. All right. Uh, have we covered everything? Anything else? Dan, are you still alive over there? You've been very kind to cut in and out and save us from all your coughing and lung hacking. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. Uh, just, you know, I, I need to not get all of... I need to not get the players sick. I need to not get Lucci sick. I need to not get the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famous sick on Saturday. There's a lot of responsibility right now. Wait, wh- <laughs> what's going on Saturday? It's the U.S. Soccer uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame inductions. Oh, is that this weekend? Yes, yep. this weekend. Abby Wambach uh, and Sunil Galati. <laughs> you can get Sunil sick. That's all right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that was this weekend. Yeah, uh, this is the Hall of Fame game against NYCFC. Oh, that's right. I, it was, yeah, okay. Um, all right, well, Buzz, anything else you want to bring up before yep. we go? I just have one tiny thing. Arturo Rodriguez, who should be MVP of USL 1, uh, won the USL 1 goal of the week this week. Uh, go look it up because that should be the goal of the year. It, it is an absolutely stunning free kick from an impossible angle. I mean, it's gorgeous. It should be goal of the year. That kid's a player, so good I, future for him. We'll see what happens. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure Buzz will tweet it out a thousand times on Already, the yeah. third degree uh, Twitter account. I, I, I would just urge you to go watch it because I'm telling you, if Messi or Eden Hazard or Marcus Rashford or any other top-notch uh, player you play on FIFA did that exact same thing, it would have been on SportsCenter. Uh, yeah, and it had nothing to do with poor goalkeeping or a bad wall setup. It was just a bonkers world class free kick. It was outstanding. Yeah, it is superb quality, and that kid has got a future. We'll see if that future is with FC Dallas this winter. We'll find out. And they did officially clinch their position. When did the playoffs for USL one uh, start? Oh gosh, I think they have two more games. FC Dallas does. I think uh, the game oh, here, the October twelfth. Yeah, this is the first game here, October 12th. October 12th. And they don't know who they're playing yet, correct? No, because the, there's uh, seven teams going for the final two spots in the playoffs. But they have they, Dallas, uh, sorry, North Texas SC did win the inaugural, clinch the inaugural regular season title, which is always nice, That a.k.a. their supporters' shield. I don't think it has a name. So that's an achievement. And they have clinched home field through the whole playoffs, which makes them obviously as good as they are at home. That makes them by far the odds on favorites to win the inaugural title of the whole thing in the playoffs, too. And that means they get promoted to the USL championship next season, right? <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, USL has made some oh. polite noises that maybe that'll happen someday, but I would not hold oh. my breath for that. Oh. Well, what you get bad. is promoted to FC Dallas is what you get <laughs> if you're a good player from that team. Awesome. That's what you want anyway. 
All right. Well, Dan, I hope you're feeling better. Buzz, uh, don't go out and get sick. And yep. uh, don't forget the uh, Dallas NYCFC game is Sunday, 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 5 p.m. at uh, Frisco Stadium. It's a big one. You don't want to miss it. I know it's on the heels. I, I, Buzz, I saw your post on Twitter asking the poll of how many people are going to show up yeah. for this, considering the Cowboys, who are 2-0 and and are playing – the, the team that's already given up on the NFL season in the Dolphins, that game's at noon. I have no idea how many actual butts and seats are going to show up for this game. Well, I'll be working the Cowboy game myself, so I'll be rushing up to Frisco as soon as the game, as soon as I can get out of there. So hopefully I'll make it in time. All right. Well, uh, go team go. Uh, five o'clock at Toyota Stadium, NYCFC's in town. Go check out the Frisco kid. He's some. He's a. He's an actual thing. All right, FC Dallas fans, thank you for checking us out, and we will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Cheers.